0: Hi, it's Tuesday evening. Um, actually, uh, I'm actually in the middle of finishing a project, but I want to take off a few minutes to see if I can um, send out the Haftorah this week. Thank God I was able to do the biography and the, and the Parsha. Let's see if we can, by the middle of the week, that will give me three free days to breathe. Uh, Tonight's uh, Haftorah podcast is being sponsored by a very good friend, Mrs. S.D. Rosberg. And family, in honor of them, in memory, I should say, of her father's yard, which is coming up this Shabbos, Ben Yecheskel. You know, I asked her, I said, Tell me something about your father, who I know lived in New York. And she said, This is very nice. The most important thing I can say about my father is that he was deeply ethical and honest. <laughs> you know, you can't don't hear that too often. <laughs> he was a sonar engineer who worked on the Navy contracts. He was born in America, grew up in a from home, but went to public school in Talmud, Torah educated. That was the old days before the day schools were popular. But the most important thing is that he imparted to his children that he was a purely idealistic and idealistically honest person. That is, of sense of right and wrong is probably the most important legacy for a parent. Although, I'm not sure every parent does that. But anyway, <clears throat> so we pay tribute to his memory and to the Rostrick family. They're members of my shul. Although now they're all over the place. Uh, everybody's in a different area. Chaim and, uh, is out in medical school and Jenny's here. It's a nurse, Lay and You No, anyway, we wish everybody ladies in Israel. Uh, they should uh, uh, be uh, safe in this, uh, especially in this uh, corona business. And now we'll turn to the Haftorah, which is extremely famous but very obscure. But I have my opinion about how to read and interpret it, and um, I'll tell you what I mean. This Torah, this week it was, of course the famous Isaiah chapter six. Kadosh Kadosh What this was adopted for the Kedusha. And that's because we don't have too many descriptions in the Bible what heaven is like. And when you say what are you saying? You're saying, Oh Lord, the let us now sanctify or be your name here. But how do we do that? Well, we'll follow the system that they use upstairs. And in the Nus of Christ, it's slightly different. It's the same idea. Well, how am I supposed to know what they do in heaven? I'm not in heaven. Well, you have a few cases in the Tanakh uh, where it's described, you know, uh, how they do it in heaven. And so, that's why it's... So that's this week's Parsha. But this is the Prophet who we consider basically the greatest of the prophets, certainly the most eloquent. But it's a very complicated situation, in my opinion. The... Uh, Yeshaya lives, as he tells at the beginning, during the middle period of the kingdom of Judah, Yehuda, He was a, a member, at least according to Chazal, he's a member of the royal family, simply because his name is Yeshayah ben-Amotz, and there was a king around that time named Amatzia. And the Hazal say, Amatzia, Achim, um, Hayu. All right, let be. But what's interesting and enigmatic is the historical context, which is, in my opinion, uh, essential understand chapter 6 and 7 of the book of Yishai which is what the Haftorah is except that the Haftorah is chopped up and sliced like in a deli um, I think for censorship purposes and uh, it's very weird in that regard and I'll jump into this right away uh, this is chapter 6 but it seems to be the beginning of the career of Yishai it's a difference of opinion among the fortune. and he says al <laughs> So I had my first prophetic vision, Uh, you know, an out of body experience. There was a king named Uziyahu, who, as the kings of Judah went, was pretty good. But as is usually the case with these guys, they had eight good innings and a bad ninth inning. There was also there were other kings like that, right? It's strange, you know. Usually somebody's bad and later in life becomes from the Uchuba. But once in a while, you find the other way around. Also, person was religious all their life, and later the latter part of their life, they said act with it. In the case of um uh, he became king of Judah after a succession of mom's, uh, uh failures, losers, losers. Uh, after what's his name? After uh, Yehoshaphat, you had uh, Yehoram and Achaziah, and then the wicked who both of them were losers and idol worshippers, and they killed their brothers. And then they had the business with uh, the wicked Queen Asal. You murdered the whole royal family almost. Then you had the baby Yoash who grows up under the tutelage of the Kohen Goro, And then goes bad. he dies. Assassinated in the loser king. Tragic case. And his son is Amaziah. The same thing happens. Assassinated. So basically Uziel comes on the throne at a time of great catastrophe. There was an earthquake. There was invasions. There was locust plagues. All kinds of things like that and Uzziah turned it around. Uh, it's very interesting, if you study the history of Uzziah, most of this, if you want to find out what's doing in the south in the King of Yehuda, you got to read closely the uh, Diver Yomam. In the book of Mlachan, which is the one that covers the history, of this period, the primacy is given to the north, the king of Israel. And if you want to find more detail about what's happening in the south, King of Yehuda, really got to read both books in tandem, you know, welcome and Diver Yomam, but primarily you'll read the book of Diver Yomam and Yeshayo and the prophets. In other words, if I gave somebody an assignment, tell me what happened during the time of Uzayahu, and you want to do the really right, you'd have to do Malachim, Deva Yaman, those passages, and then those Naviim that report during their time. Yishai would be the main one, but not the only one. For example, Yoel was at that time, just off the top of my head. Now, uh, what happened with Yeho, For He got too arrogant, it says. And, and he was successful in rebuilding the kingdom and reestablishing the army by even Uzi on Migdalim by Eichaz Used to be a song when I was a kid. And uh, he rebuilt the country. Let's just leave it at that. <coughs> and uh, and he wasn't an idol worshiper. And then he's the famous guy that's, that said, I want to do the guitarist. Why he wanted to do that, who knows? Because he was king, he was very successful, but he wanted to carry out the thing of the coin Go, and that's where he got leprosy. So... When he got leprosy, uh, he remained in leprosy till he died, a number of years. Uh, some interpret Mishnahs Moshe Malchus to refer to this, you know, his death would mean leprosy. You don't have to say that. But listen closely. He was then succeeded by his son, Yosem. And I think that's the background of this Haftorah, uh, the two chapters. Uh, Yosem is reported by us to be a good guy. Matter of fact, there's a chazal that, that, that praises him in extravagant terms. They say he was the greatest of the kings of the South. Simply because in English there's the expression, you praise him with faint dams, not damn with faint praise. And there's a famous Rashi, which says that, you know, the Bible is very critical. Any king that did something wrong, they usually mention it. On Yosem, there's nothing really to mention. Therefore, he must have been at gummer and there's a Gemara in Yumas uh, I mean, a sukkah somewhere, where Yochim and Zakkai says, me and Yosem could take on all the averas of the rest of Kala forever. So knows he had a very high opinion of this King Yosem. However, however, it's also clear from reading books like Ishayo, and if you read closely in the book of Melachim and Diryam, closely, you'll see that Yosem, who served as a regent for his stricken father, so when the old man had the leprosy, for 10, 15 years, whatever it was, the son ruled the country in his name in a very respectful way to Chazal say. And then on his own, he ruled for 16 years. So he was there for a fairly long time. And he himself was blameless. But as given at Tzadik and Pelts, he personally was okay. But that, but only if you define okay as whether or not you worship idols. The book of Melachim, and book of de is written in a kind of black and white way in which kings are evaluated as successful or unsuccessful, based on a criterion of whether or not they worship idols or just worship Hashem. But there's more to it than that. You could be from, now listen closely what I'm saying, if you define from as atta- attending to the rituals. As we would say today, a person who's a Shomer Shabbos keeps kosher, in those days you do the Karbonos, you know, you don't go to other idols. But But you could be bad... In your um, social justice and injustice stuff, you could screw over the poor. You could run a a, a system, an economic system like Les Miserable*, you know, where where a poor guy gets um, sent to slavery for stealing bread and things like that. And uh, it could be a terrible society. This is exactly what the prophets like Yeshayahu uh, portray, in many places, that the system was corrupt, in the economic sense. So, if you want an American parallel. Unfortunately, as we all know, there are plenty of Frum Jews. And when it comes to ritual mitzvahs, they're very good. they got a shrammel, kabata, they have a long coat, like a litwish, a shiva, whatever you want to say. But when it comes to business, it's a different story. And not only that, they'll, they'll really screw a guy over and, and, and kick him out of the house, uh, you know, cause him to lose parnosa and things like that. What happened to the Frunkite? Well, you know how it goes. <laughs> Frunkite is benem l'mokob. Frunkite does not include That's how. That, that's the way it is. Uh, that we live in an age of scandals, and pretty much you're always holding your breath. You hope this rabbi doesn't get caught doing something wrong and make a chalashem. You hope that right doesn't. You hope this yeshiva doesn't get caught with his hand in the pot. It's whatever. If a person makes it all through his life and there were no breaths of scandal to him, people said, Wow, very good. <laughs> very good. I remember reading once the Irvin Bunin book years ago, and <laughs> he must have been good and uh, honest in business because it says there was a guy who lent him money or something like that. Because well, he said, oh, Mr. Bunim is an Orthodox Jew. I know he's good for the money. <laughs> well, that's sad to read that. Because, well, what shall I say? You know what I mean. Uh, my brother, whose yard sale was the other day, I remember the first time he went into business. It's long ago. When he was in uh, young 20s, he, idealistic little boy from Baltimore. Uh, he got involved with two gerich. i And he saw it since they wear long uh, payas and all the rest of it. Boy, did they screw him over. Uh, that's how you learn lessons in life. Now, Keep that in mind. So the period we're talking about, Mishnas Hamos Melchuz Yehu, is characterized by a king who personally is um, orthodox, uh, blameless, but who presides over a kingdom in which there's a lot of bad stuff happening in terms of social injustice, the rich getting everything, uh, reducing the poor to poverty, screwing everybody over, courts are not uh, fair, they're favoring the, the rich People reduced to slavery because of the campaign of debts, <clears throat> excuse me, and all kinds of things like that. Now, this was a funny scene. The king is okay, but the Matsum is not okay. Now, uh, this is when Yeshua was in- inducted into the pro- into the prophecy. Um, he has this scene, and he knew uh, how bad the people are, and that's why he famously is touched with a cold by the angel in the dream, because it all happened in a prophetic dream, but Melchah because he said, B'soch am anechi yosheves. The Amtami um, and the people are, have Tami Svasayim, which means what they say is no good. Now the Chazal, in their typical way, will say, how can you say a bad thing about cholesterol role? For that itself, that's why the angel burned you. There are other ways of learning that as well, if you looked in Mepharshim, but the bottom line is, that after seeing this uh, remarkable, uh, what shall I say, uh, prophetic spiritual scene, oh, he's in Shemaim, and there's smoke, and there are angels with six wings, and they're saying Kadosh, 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 etc., etc. And by the way, if they're saying Melochal Arts that's a packed statement, because Melochal Arts means God is not in space, but the other way around. Melochal um, Arts guys God is, is, is everywhere. No, God's not everywhere. He created the concept of everywhere. You understand? That's already taking you to a more philosophical understanding of what God is. That God is not bound by space. He created space. So he's in it, but he's not in it. And that's the mystery that the angels are, are, are speaking about. Now, having said that, what's the message? And the message is that God is angry. And the message is, don't uh, get in my way. I'm going to bring a disaster on this kingdom. Okay. It's very interesting. Stop up their ears, stop up their eyes. So basically, you say like this. Do not encourage them to do teshuva. Actually, the other way around. (coughs) Encourage them in their bad ways, which which is amazing. Encourage them in their bad ways so that their eyes will not see the disaster approaching, their ears will not hear, their heart will not understand, they'll be stuffed up. This, the Rambam in the Hilchus Tshuva, talks about the famous question of how could God harden the heart of Pharaoh, and he quotes this, right? He quotes this passage as an example that sometimes the the punishment is the stopping up of the teshuva, you know, that you can, which is very easy. All you have to do is make a person feel like they're being matzliach and they will not be induced to do tshuva. 99.9% of the time, a person only repents when something happens to induce them to do so, Right? It's very rare that someone just wakes up, everything's going great in their wicked ways, and they say, oh my God, what am I doing? Usually something shakes them up. And God said, I'm not going to do that. This reign of Yosem is going to be a time of prosperity. And uh, so, Because I'm afraid that people do tshubah and will avert the disaster that I, God, intend to bring in the near future. Isn't that amazing? Uh, It sounds like Teshuvah is such, of, of such a nature that kind of forces the hand of God, which is very similar to the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Since the people didn't, Nineveh did Teshuvah, God can't destroy the city, even though we all know that 40 years later, the Nineveh will be bad already and wipe out the kingdom of the north, which is happening right around the time of this prophecy, actually. Now, um, so he tells them, uh, therefore, don't, you know, encourage the people to do Teshuvah. I intend to bring disaster. And he uses the word Shoah. This is actually the place where you get the term Shoah from, Holocaust. Because it says, For Omar Ad Masai on the night in the dream, I said, How long will this last? Meaning, How long will this disaster be? And the answer is, It'll be a pretty heavy disaster that will devastate the kingdom of Judah. The cities are, have a Shoah. In other words, their population will be wiped out. And the house will be empty which is a scene, like, of a nuclear disaster, so there'll be a Shoah that will hit the cities, and the houses, and the ground, and the field, so basically, you'll walk around the country, which will be depopulated, and you see the King of Judah as a land, you know, where nobody's, uh, there, are no people, right? And what does he say over here? He said um, there'll be attempts at a tenth of the population remaining in it, so ten percent will survive. Okay? Now, this is a, is a prediction that came true, but it's not described in the Haftarah. It's very weird, and I'll tell you what I mean. What I just read you is the first half of the Haftarah, which is equivalent to chapter six in the book of Isaiah. It is then followed up by chapter seven. Now, mind you, the chapter. Titles are Christian, you know, they're the ones who did it. But nevertheless, it's passage A followed by passage B. It's back to back. So what happens? Yosam dies. He's succeeded by his son Ochas, And under Ochas and Khiskio, the next two kings, even though they're of radically different nature, the kingdom is hit with a series of disasters when a World War One, World War II, World War Three. Until Mamish was described of there takes place. I don't see them afarch from saying it this way, but to me it's Pasha. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. It goes on to describe the next king gets involved in wars which are disastrous. Now, they're not described here, but if you take the trouble to read the book of Dibrayamim, I'll read you in English. This would be in chapter 28 in Dibrayamim, uh, part 2. It says that Ochos was super wicked. Uh, he was 20 years old. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel. He made molten images of Baal. And he did gave ben chinom So what you and I call Gehenna, that's expression. There's no place called hell. a uh, Physical place called hell. Uh, but exists as a Matthias. Now, the Ramban disagrees with what I'm saying. Uh, I read this more closely in this Shara Gamul. And he strongly maintains there's a place called hell. It's weird to me. I don't get it. The Ramban makes a lot more sense to me. That's why I'm sharing it. And the heaven and hell are not uh, uh, physical places, but they're realities, right? There's heaven re- is a schar in and hells onish, but, you know, it's not not a place. So why do we call gehenim Because there used to be a valley in Israel, in Jerusalem, called Geben-Hinom, and that's where they did the human sacrifice. These are Jews killing Jewish children. And this was popular under Ochos, okay? That's what it says in chapter 28. And it says, He offered incense in Geben-Hinom, to certain places, this the valley called the Valley of Ben and he passed his sons through fire. Some say ritually, others say it was a human sacrifice. Not clear, um, following the revolting practices of the Amori and all this kind of stuff. And he did uh, Tachas called and he, he had idols and um, shrines and jungle like it all over the place under every tree, every hill. Okay, and the Gemara describes Achas as one of the four kings that will go straight to hell, do not pass, go. And Inlachil Gomuhaba. And and Lord describes he tried to wipe out the Torah. He made So he basically declared war on the Torah. I'm serious. He burned every copy of the Torah, except one that was hidden away. Think about that. He closed the Yeshibis, he killed the Rebbees. You know, that kind of thing. And so the verse goes on in Devarayam to describe so God delivered him in the hands of the king of Aram. Meaning there was an invasion from Syria. The Arameans attacked him, taking many captives so that he brought to Damascus. He also delivered him in the hands of the king of Israel. So there was a, a combined war of two against one. Aram and Yisrael, the kingdom of the north. That's pretty sad. It means the kingdom of the Jews of the north hooked up with the Arabs to attack another Jewish kingdom. Yep, that's what happened. The king at that time was Pekach of It was a big Russia. It's not surprising. And it goes on to say, they inflicted a severe blow on in a single day, Pekach ben Ramayel killed 120,000 soldiers of Judah. That's a lot of casualties in a day. All valiant men, because they abandoned God, Lord their fathers. Zichri, the hero of Ephraim, killed Masay, the king's son. So there was like a, a, a joust or a, a champion in a match between the one guy from this side, and one guy on that side. The king's son was killed. Also, he killed Azikram, the pal supervisor like we would say to the prime minister, and I'll come to the king's deputy. So in other words, there was a tremendous defeat with large human casualties suffered by Ochaz. The Israelites captured 200,000 men, women, children of Judah, and they took them north as captives. And then he tells you a couple of stories over here, all of which are interesting, but I don't have time to go into it. Now, instead of Ochaz doing teshuva, he fulfilled the uh, message of God, which is your heart is stopped up, and you can't do Teshuvah because he sent words to the king of Asher to come to his help. That's like saying, I'm having trouble from Jordan. I'm inviting in, you know, the the, the Russians, the Turks. They're worse, you see? And the Anamites came and attacked Judah and took captives. The Philistines attacked for the first time since since King David and devastated the Shemelah and captured this city and that city, including Beit Shemesh, by the way. And thus God, God busted Judah on the count of Ochas, because he exposed Judah's iniquity was untrue to God, meaning because he was particularly wicked. And it goes on and on and on, and Achaz would not change his ways. And instead, he tried to be even more intense in his Avodah changing around the furniture in the base of Migdash, making the place look like an Italian funeral home, with idols everywhere, and all kind of stuff like this. So basically, what we're saying over here is that the next reign, which was around the corner from the time of this prophecy, a few years away, predicted... Terrible disasters are about to hit the the, the the kingdom of Judah because you can be sure if they lost 120,000 one day, they lost thousands and more along the way to battles and and skirmishes and sieges and all this kind of business. So the country was devastated. And then, uh, um, dropped dead when he was 36 years old, and his son Chiske took over as the king in a reversed course. Chiske is famous for being a BT, and he uh went to the extreme, he became ultra orthodox. And he did a lot of good things. Fixed the base of and so on and so forth. And uh, he's famous for this. However, even in the time of Chizkiyahu, the way Yeshayahu and other prophets describe what's going on, you still had the same lousy social injustice. You still had the the rich sticking it to the poor, the courts being unjust, um, people being sold unconscionably into slavery, widows and orphans being screwed over, kicked out of their houses, just terrible things were going on. Like we would say today, pure capitalism. You understand? And by the way, when it's pure capitalism, it's not pure capitalism because the rich control get get control of the system. <laughs> right? And so, even though Chizkiah is a good king, and if you go by the calculus of whether you're an idol worshiper or a Hashem worshiper, he certainly was a Hashem worshiper. No question about that. And he destroyed the idols and all this kind of stuff. All that's great. Right? Nevertheless, the essential social injustice problems were not uh, addressed. And what happened was that even Chizkiahov got hit with a major Assyrian invasion. This is the famous invasion of Sanherib, the king of Asher. So the Assyrian Empire came down like Pac-Man. They actually, during the time of Chizkiahov eliminated the north of the kingdom of the ten tribes half of which was taken away in the time of the previous king I just mentioned. It's all in the book. It's all in, the, in Malachan. under the peck of Ramaliel, and the other half during the time of the last king of the north, Abishai during the time of Chizkiah. So, uh, the north was gone. The Ten Lost Tribes. That means that the our, empire of Ashur was right up to the border of Judah, which means Ramallah, you know, a little bit north of that. The, the, the Moms close, because the kingdom of Yehud was not big. And is more or less not far from the northern border of the King Yehuda, And so it was a bummer. Now, Chizkiah did not listen to the prophet Yeshayahu when it came to foreign policy. And he hooked up with the Egyptians. I've talked about it in another podcast. And he got screwed up as a result of that Kuz- because Sancherim invaded. And when the Assyrians invaded Ashur, it was like a Hitler invasion. They killed and destroyed everything. The only place that he didn't destroy was Yerushalayim. Now we actually have archaeological evidence. It is, and if you go online and just look up the siege of Lachish, you'll see L A C I, you know L A C H I S H. You'll see from the Assyrian records, you know the monuments, they have like a TV uh, uh, picture of the attack on the city, and you see they're uh, busting in the city and impaling the Jewish POWs. It's just terrible. So the country went through. Exactly what is described, Asher and the cities will be Me'en Yoshev, and the Batim will be Ma'in Yoshev, and all be leftists in Assyria, 10%. Because what happened was the entire kingdom of Yehudah was destroyed, only the city of Shalom held out. At the last minute, there was a nace, and the army of Asher uh, expired. You know, the night before the attack, uh, they died. it's the famous story, happened on Hanukkah. I'm sorry, happened on Pesach. According to tradition, the famous nase of, uh, of 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 what you call Sanherib, which is a great story. But when people tell the story, they forget the other half of the story, which is, yeah, Hitler went down, but after he killed six million, so Sanherib went down after he wiped out the whole kingdom of Yehuda. There was only ten percent left, and in the book of uh, Melachim, you read Yeshayahu says it's true. There'll only be a few left, and little by little they will regrow. You understand? Know there will be a rebirth and a population boom later, which happened. Okay? Instead, it was a temporary reprieve. But let me put it this way. These times were not a good time to live as a Jew in the land of Israel, especially in Judah. The north was almost wiped out, and the south was almost wiped out. And you end up, Now, the reason I say this is because when you read the Haftorah in chapter 7, after the first prophecy, it starts to come true, but the Haftarah doesn't tell you everything that I just told you. You see? If you just relied on listening to the Haftarah every week, which is a Madrig also, you wouldn't know any of this. And it says, That there was an attack on Jerusalem by the combined armies of Aram and and Yisro. Well, that's what we just read in the other book that's when they killed 120,000 one day. And here they actually besiege the city Jerusalem, which means they devastate the country after defeating the army of Judah. The king is locked up in the place. That the house of David, the king was told, the wicked king was told there's an alliance between Aram and Ephraim and his heart shook like a, 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 a lulav, meaning he was scared to death properly so and at that point, there, there launches a whole story that we're not told about. You're only told the very beginning of it. Go to the king in such and such a place and tell him, <laughs> Don't be scared, these enemy armies. I know that Ephraim and and, and, uh, and the king of Israel, Ben Ramayo, is Pekach Ben Ramayo, the wicked next to the last king of the north. Now lehud and the Kitsenal, the Kenalinum, let's destroy the king Behuda, Ben and we'll put our own candidate on the throne, Ben Tobel, whoever he was. Now, in the book of Yeshayo, it goes on to have a whole dramatic confrontation between the prophet and the king. The king is so bad that he even says, I don't want to hear any message from God, even a positive message. And so on and so forth. The prophet Isaiah goes on to give his famous prophecy that the virgin will conceive and bear a child that the Christians base everything on. This is where it takes place. In the book of Ishayob, it says, We skipped this in Haftar. We did not include in Shalom is asked for a question and asked for a sign that I'll deliver the city. And the king won't ask for a sign because that would make it sound like there really is a God. And, um, And he goes on to say, I'll give you a sign anyway. That your wife will conceive. How much ink has been spilled? Does this mean a virgin, like the Christians claim? Because in the New Testament, they said this is the birth of Jesus. The Jews say Alma is not a basula; It's a different thing. And the radak, and everybody goes and all this kind of stuff. And uh, you'll have a son. The way we learn this, your wife will have a son. He'll be the next king, Chizkyo. And this time, things will be better. Uh He'll, you know, he'll, he'll grow up and be a great king. Now, I'll bet you that when they put the Haftorah together, which may have been in the time of the Byzantine Empire, uh, according to some theories, so they are not going to bring Isaiah 7, get it? No, it's not going to read this in Shul. In the Alma, Hulbiyah, So they just cut that off. Uh, and instead, they um, switch over at the end, as you do once in a while in the Haftorah. But always for a reason. to chapter nine. In chapter nine, it's talking about Mashiach time, or maybe Chizkial, depending how you learn it, right? And he says that this uh, king later on will be an amazing prince. Okay, uh, which could be read as a messianic figure. or could be read not as a messianic figure. That's in chapter nine. It's so far away, right? And his name will be Pele Yoitz El Gibor Aviadat Sar Shalom. The and Misra Shaman case, it'll be gevaldic, right? It'll be like uh, a wonderful time. Now, this is strange. If you don't know Yeshayah, which I happen to know, and you don't know Diri I don't know how to expect you to take anything out of Saf Torah. Right? Now, the reason it's mentioned over here, I guess, is because um, you know uh, Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people see Maimon HaSinai. And Maimon HaSinai, they see a revelation of God such as no one ever saw. Well, Yeshayo so, something like that. <laughs> you get it? Now as Moshe went up to Shemaim to get the Torah out in whatever way you understand that. So did Isaiah in a certain way. And so for to mention as a as a dramatic example of this. The rest it is window dressing. But I would say that the window dressing kind of important uh, because of all the heavy implications that lays there. But I just gave you the pushup shot of this Torah, which was Yeshayel gave him a prophecy. He said, I know you're not going to listen to me, because that's the curse, a Cassandra. I'm telling you, a disaster is coming. If you turn around do do tshuva, completely revise your economic system, if you do all that, then you'll be saved. But I know you're not going to listen to me. And they didn't listen to him. And under the reign of Ochus and Chizkiah, even though Ochaz was wicked as far as the idolatry is concerned, and Chizkiah was righteous as far as the idolatry is concerned, both kings had a problem with social injustice, the Benon Lechavero business, in terms of the organization of society, the unbridled capitalism and the religious hypocrisy that usually accompanies the unbridled capitalism. So both kings will be devastated. And boy, were they ever. See, even though Hiski was a from guy, no question about that, but if you, defining from, as they say before in Bein Onol and sense sense, uh, his kingdom, although it survived, was crushed and devastated. Because what was it like when 90% of the population was gone? When a Shoah hit Yehuda? So to me, that's actually kind of the most interesting part of this uh, thought-provoking Haftorah. And with that, I wish you a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbydovidcats.com.